Podcast Movies Edition, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to the Movies Podcast. Coming up, we discuss War of the Worlds and Alice in Wonderland on Blu-ray Disc, and we also look at some of the sporting film classics of years gone by. And joining me for the podcast is our usual team. We've got Simon, we've got Mark, and we've got Jer. Good evening, guys. Hello. Evening, Phil. All right, Phil. And uh, we're going to kick off uh, looking at some of the films that have been reviewed on the site. That's avforums.com forward slash movies. And we're going to kick off with Tim Burton's latest uh, effort, uh, which we've all seen now on uh, Blu-ray Desk. And let's go to Mark first. Mark, what were your thoughts on Alice in Wonderland? Um... It's in the Tim Burton mould. I mean, it's it's closer to maybe his style for, say, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but following the blueprint of, say, Planet of the Apes in that it was more a reimagining or a retelling than a straightforward adaptation of this source material. But it's basically a 19-year-old Alice kind of disillusioned in the world of prim and proper aristocracy and the like, goes back down the rabbit hole and has another adventure. It's typical Burton fare in that it's weird, it's wacky, it's got lots of very striking imagery and the like, but I just felt that it was a little bit soulless, that it it felt more like someone attempting to mimic Burton rather than a Burton film in itself. That was one of the points before we came on here that we were discussing there, Jer, is it's almost like an homage to to Tim Burton by Tim Burton. Yeah, I, I mean, like... When you, when you think of the, the 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 concept of Alice in Wonderland and what he potentially could have done with it this time around, he he just was very typical Burton is 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 what he's done. I mean, like when you think of stuff like uh, Nightmare, wasn't he? His involvement in the Nightmare Before Christmas, Batman flicks, and some of the other stuff he's done, he was he brought something new, something novel to the world of cinema. Now he's just been stock Burton and. He's he's almost pigeonholed himself with this, you know, fantastical style that he can deliver. But it's just become pretty much stock. I enjoyed the film. I have to say, and I was uh, went to see it in three D in the movies, of course, as we talked about it in the previous podcast. Haven't had the opportunity to watch it in blue yet, but I I do have it sitting downstairs. But I'd be very very interested to see how much better it looks on two D than in three D because I was pretty disappointed at the post process and three D effects that were added. I think it kind of detracted a lot from the picture. Colours were completely muted, so yeah, I'd be looking. I'd be looking to watch this now, and I'd say it'd look fantastic. The disc, there's no denying the disc looks fabulous, looks and sounds fabulous. Um, but you've got to get over the fact that it's really quite a dull film. It's not really that dull, though. You could, there's, there's there's lots of excitement. The only problem is is that. The, no the characters, problem. the characters in the whole story, you've seen it all before. It's been done ad nauseum. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's no real novel twist on the Alice in Wonderland tale. You know, he's just done a complete rehash, and everybody knows it's going to happen. Yeah, it looks great. The bit at the end, I thought the ending was complete pap and completely unbelievable, and obviously thrown in there for the kids, and that almost ruined it for me. But it uh, does make it. Sorry, but it does kind of 
skew it slightly. He does make a few kind of interesting twists, you know, the White Queen being kind of making these vulgar concoctions and little things like that. You know, some of the characters are slightly more twisted, as you'd expect from a Burton film. But as you say, the problem is that it treads a fairly familiar story. I found that it was slightly boring simply because of the fact that I always feel that if you can watch a film and still be excited by the imagery necessarily without the sounds or the sound without the imagery, then, you know, one or the other is great. But in this, Elfman's score was just basically telegraphing the moments which were supposed to be exciting rather than actually heightening that excitement. Here comes the strings. I better be excited now. I mean, like, yeah, you... exactly. When you think about this film, it is exactly the same as Avatar. It's basically an animated feature with a few actors thrown in there. And when you look at what Avatar has done and what this has done, there's really no comparison, really no comparison. Both only all right movies, in my opinion. But, I mean, like, Avatar just took it to a complete other level. And this one kind of trotted along in behind. When you look at the cast that this one had in comparison to Avatar... I mean, like, it's got the who's who of kind of quirky actors and whatnot. And the only... Johnny Depp was good in it, all right. Bonham Carter was good. I mean, like, I, I, I enjoyed the wee animated monkey helpers more than I enjoyed some of the primary characters in this. In fact, the blue caterpillar, the, the stoner caterpillar that Alan Rickman does, he's my favourite character in the film. and not saying something, and he's not in it for that long. I've got to say Stephen Fry is the, is the cat was my favourite. Yeah, he's pretty smart. That's always the sign of a you know a pretty poor film if you're saying that the peripheral cast can steal the film. You know, it, it's one of those moments where you see Alan Rickman or, or, or Stephen Fry in their in their animated forms, and they do really steal the show. You're just hoping that you'd see more of the Cheshire Cat or more of Absalom. Yes. Yeah. Although I've got to say, um, Mia as um, Alice was. Pretty damn nice to look at. For. Mia who? What's her last name? <laughs> I can see the first cut in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mia Wassi, Wassi Koska. Is that a type of sauce? She's, she's 23, is she not? 22, 23? I didn't do the research <laughs> into this young actress as much as you did. Well, I wasn't good. obsessing about her on the internet. You <laughs> okay. know what I mean? Looking at pictures on Google Images. Whoa, look at all them. Speaking of peripheral characters, you know which character wasn't that good? Your man, the, the Stain, you know, that kind of black knight guy. He was now, he was pretty pointless, I don't think. They could have cut a, a bit of waste out of the film, all right, but it kind of made it a bit for the kids, you know? See, when you, when you see that character of Stain and you've got Alan Rickman as an animated character, there's part of you that just wants to see him almost reprise his role from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It, yes. He would have been so much better in that role. Yes, he would have been. He would. He would have been. He would have brought the menace. I mean, like, even Severus Snape in in Harry Potter. Like mean, that dude's scary. Like you know what I mean. He he has that oily evilness about him. You know what I mean. Um, but I think that's kind of part of the problem with this with this film is the fact that it seems halfway between a normal Burton film with its kind of dark humor and the like and and twisted imagery, and almost an an entirely a children's film in other ways. But kids' movies have, have shifted along so much further than they were. I mean, the stuff like Harry Potter, it is pretty scary for, you know, kind of current kids' fair and the like. And, and mm-hmm. you know, children's films have moved on significantly since, you know, the days of the classic 
Alice in Wonderlands and Wizard of Oz's and things like that. I thought Johnny Depp was crap in it. Uh, just he looks like a demonic carrot top. I just That's all he, he was. was rubbish. Yeah. Rubbish. Why did he have a Scottish accent? Well, he, well, he kept. That was the whole point. He kept changing his accent all the way through it, so supposedly to pretend he was he was mad, you know. But no, all but the, the fact of trying was... to give him a backstory or all this was or falling in love just with be, Alice. A, be the character, be the yeah. be the idiot, you know. That's, oh, I don't know. I just didn't. Yeah, didn't get on with him at all. His whole interaction with Alice was pants. I mean, like it was, you know, yeah, it was rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I've got right off this movie now, just discussing it with you guys. As often happens. <laughs> Although I've got to say, um, I'd I'd heard a lot of bad things before actually going in and watching this, and um, although I appreciate all the points you're making, I still found it quite enjoyable. Now, if you're prepared to kind of slightly lower your expectations, then it 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 does seem a decent enough film. The problem is, is that as soon as you hear Alice in Wonderland and Tim Burton your mind just gets racing to, you know, the classic Burton films and you just think the source material was absolutely perfect for him, the kind of gibberish language used. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, see, the thing is, Mark, right, is that he, 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 as far as I'm concerned, he did it to perfection. I don't think, I don't think technically you could have recreated the world any better or I think the characters, yeah, they're a bit wacky. But he, he, he did it almost to perfection. If another director had thrown that out, you would have gone, oh, yes, it's pretty good, yeah, well done. But the fact that it's Burton, he should have really done better. Yeah, yeah you raised yeah. the bar that bit higher, don't you? Yeah, yeah, he did, and now he's just casually sitting under the bar, enjoying himself, when really he should be, you know, living up to his potential. I knew it was a Tim Burton film before going into it, and I knew it wasn't one of his best, which is why... Um, I was able to just sit back and soak it up, to be honest. But um, I agree with everything that you're saying, guys. Um, I think he's... Uh, technically, it was excellent, everything that was in there. I just think it was um, maybe just uh, poorly executed, if you know what I mean. I, I, it seemed to me that, that there was quite a bit of material maybe cut out of there or that there was maybe quite a few script rewriters that went through. It just seemed to be a little bit disjointed in places. See, that, see, it's outside of his usual sphere of working, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, he's done, obviously, you know, as all directors, live action, but he's also done stop-motion animation. But this, you just wonder how much say he had or, or how much ability he had to, say, recut certain scenes if they've spent millions animating, you know, people's faces onto particular characters and there are lines of dialogue that can't really be moved about. You know, you can't suddenly, you know, change the set or the like. There are certain scenes that must have been pretty much locked in from the beginning. So, to a certain degree, the editing process wouldn't have been as fluid as his previous efforts. I see he's, I see he's um, remaking The Adams Family as well. No doubt with Johnny Depp as Gomez and Helena Bodum Carter as Morticia. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see a Tim Burton film without them in it. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. He needs to he needs to cut away from his comfort zone, move into new territory, and it'll bring out the best in him. I mean, like when he was doing all the films in the nineties, like Sleepy Hollow, Edward Scissorhands, you know, those kind of really good films that he came out and was like, oh wow, look at this guy, he's something else. He 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 paired up with those guys, and I think he's been afraid to break the bond, and it's dragging him down and dragging them down as well. Yeah, I think I think I totally agree with that. I don't know what you think, Mark. Well, uh, to a certain degree, uh, uh, you know, I'd agree. But I think 
when you go down that road, you you fall into the same kind of uh, questionable categorization of films that uh, Scorsese has made since he's stopped utilizing De Niro and the like. It, it's great to say break out of the comfort zone, but ultimately, if the comfort zone has shown pretty consistently great output, then you know there's a there's a reason to stay with it. Yeah, but obviously now he's got a bit of a problem. Plus, you can't be working with your wife. Imagine working with your wife the whole time on set. I think the key problem <laughs> is awful. there are yeah, there are only so many kooky characters that Johnny Depp ultimately can play. You know, that a, a little fresh twist on each one, you know, Sweeney Todd and Sleepy Hollow and Edward and Edward Cizans and the like. How far can he go? I mean, when you look at say the extras on this disc which show how much detail he went into with things like the costume for this character. He put in so much effort in kind of bedecking this, the Mad Hatter's outfit with all these different little attachments that a milliner might have. But ultimately, it was pretty wasted. You know, there, there was no real substance to it all. You see, it was because of all... When you, when you compare his character in this one to the one he did in Fear and Loading in Las Vegas, have you guys ever seen that? I don't think you have, because these are all rubbish. Oh, right? Yes. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good. You've seen it. I don't think you two guys haven't seen it. Have you, Phil and Simo? No, not yet. Uh, you really should. Anyway, he spent, he spent months with Hunter S. Thompson, even borrowed his clothes, borrowed his car, drove around, lived his life, and put in a huge amount of detail, and that comes out on the screen. Problem is, all the detail he put into the Mad Hatter and all the hours he spent researching and building the character up is lost because everything's so wacky all around him. He's not the centre of attention. The landscape, the other characters, all the CGI completely detract away from his character. I mean, like, he could be almost animated. He's so dolled up in makeup with wacky eyes and everything. Like, he could almost be an animated character. And so some of his characterization is lost, becomes a bit inhuman. So let's move on to the, the Blu-ray disc. I've got to say, it's certainly uh, an excellent transfer, excellent soundtrack on there as well. And it looked good blown up with a projector. So what did you guys think of the, the actual disc? The disc is, you know, you, you can't really fault it, other than perhaps a little, you know, lacking in terms of extras. You know, picture and sound are pretty phenomenal. There's always a worry when you're combining CG with live action that there'll be either too much softness around edges when they try and blend it in or, or you know, perhaps the occasional bit of aliasing or the like. But I, I can't really imagine it, it looking much better. I know some people have perhaps picked up on a, a few instances of slight softness and, and claim that the CG shows that more um, than the live action. But I think people always or people have become accustomed to a certain extent of expecting uh, CG, even in backgrounds, to be perfectly pin sharp and to show perfect delineation. Whereas when you take into account depth of field and focus of the camera, it, this in fact looks far more organic than, than one would likely expect. I didn't see this at the cinema, but I'd, I've you know, I'd put money on it looking pretty darn close to what was uh, to what was shown theatrically. Um, I agree with you totally there, Mark, uh, regarding picture quality. Um, I think some people out there have too high an expectation sometimes or expectations that, that just won't translate to, to something that was shot. The way this was shot, there was a lot of depth, depth of field, a lot of soft focus used in there and used in there for artistic merit. It's something that Tim Burton does on a regular basis. I mean, if you look at Sleepy Hollow, I've only got the HD DVD of that. I haven't 
ported over to Blu-ray yet, but a lot of complaints that that was really soft looking and it wasn't HD and all the rest, which was a load of nonsense. It was, it was the way it was filmed. It was filmed soft focus with a lot of mist and a lot of fog, and so I think sometimes people, I think you're right, they have a, an expectation that that just doesn't marry up with what's actually there. His films have always been, to a certain extent, have a slight, almost a hallucinatory, almost dreamlike quality to them and he he plays on that and so therefore you can't really expect it always to be pin sharp and and expect that that is what the director was intending but the the main thing for me from looking at this disc was things like uh, colour stability and the as you say some of the swirling kind of smoke effects and the softening that there's no hint of banding or anything like that It's, it's really really stable yeah, but it's it's a, a grady transfer in my books. It's uh, and and I've got to say, looking at a lot of the discs recently, that I, there hasn't been anything really that hasn't um, carried over. Once you go into the classic stuff, I think there's a little bit of arguments here and there. But um, no, as far as I'm, yeah. as, as far as I'm concerned, it looks uh, it looks spot on, Simon. Yeah, it's absolutely pristine. Um, fabulous looking disc. And it needs to be, really, doesn't it? Um, I was going to say, it's had a huge, huge push from Disney, hasn't it? Um, it seems to be everywhere you look, you can see the disc. I yeah, wonder and... why they're, they're pushing it quite so much when the film itself isn't, well, in our opinion at least, not, not anywhere near Tim Burton's best. Well, this but it is... just shows oh, you the money got... machine can make it. Yeah, well, this, is the first, this is the first that, time they've, they've pushed the window, though. This is the one that made all the headlines, if you, if you go back six months ago, remember... Uh, Odeon, we're not going to play this. We're not going to show it because uh, yeah, true. Uh, Disney wanted to um, shorten the window, and and it's actually on Sky Box Office at the moment, which is completely unheard of um, mm. in in terms of theatrical to to release window. Yeah, it just seems to be everywhere. They've, they've, certainly, the PR department's behind it, and they've been pushing it, and it's advertising everywhere. So, one of the conversation points that that were raised there was that maybe Tim Burton is is just so used to his comfort zone that. Um, he won't try anything new, but uh, let's move on to Steven Spielberg, who is uh, the type of director who, certainly in the last 10 years, has turned his hand to lots of different subject matters, which maybe if going from his output in the, the 80s and 90s, we, we wouldn't have really considered him to look at. And one of the discs that's out at the moment is the 2005 remake of War of the Worlds. Um, so... Do we think that Tim Burton should maybe take a leaf out of Spielberg's book and look at new genres, Mark? Um, yeah, I'd say that's a perfectly valid thing to say. I mean, if you look at arguably Spielberg's worst film in recent years, it's in fact probably the, the last Indiana Jones film, one that you'd expect him to nail. He's he's taken on various different uh, genres. He's, he's certainly done a decent amount of sci-fi in recent years with things like Minority Report and War of the Worlds and AI. Yep. And, yeah, he, he's, he's got a broad output, and he, but he seems to go through phases. You know, he, he's done sci-fi before that, and he did a certain amount of historical films with, you know, Schindler's List and Amistad. And so he seems to occasionally put out one that's slightly worse i you know amistad i wasn't overly keen on but he usually perfects it within that field he usually has a few cracks at a given genre a given field a given type of storytelling and at least one out of two will be pretty much classics he has done a huge variety in genres i mean like when you do compare him to tim burton 
I mean, like he's done, he, he's he's dipped into everything. If you just look at the stuff he's done in the last, whatever, 20 years or so, you got Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Save Private Ryan, Amistad, AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, which was a complete turnaround to anything he'd really done before and was a really funny and enjoyable movie. And he still goes on and he's still making more and more films. And yeah, he's 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 a proper role model director in my opinion. Uh, opinion and he rarely puts a foot wrong he, he rarely he rarely makes a really really bad movie indiana jones obviously being the glaring exception and i do believe that they're going to make a fifth indiana jones film but i don't know any details about it one of the films that i think was really underrated from spielberg uh, one of his recent ones certainly in the last seven or eight years was munich um any of you guys catch that no no i thought it was a film about a city and it sounded really boring so i avoided it but it's it's not a subject matter that you would think that Spielberg would be interested in, and and if you get a chance, go and watch it because uh, be interested in your thoughts on that one because it's um, especially with the with the recent uh, political climate, um, might be interesting to see what you think. One of the reasons, sorry, but Phil, but that was one of the reasons actually why I kind of avoided it. With those types of films, I always find myself looking into the kind of historical accuracies or inaccuracies, and as soon as it gets slated, I, I find it's certainly harder to to get full enjoyment out of it. So definitely there's there's lots of variants in there, but let's move back to um, War of the Worlds. Um, it was a remake, um, the 1953 version. George Powell, was it, that did that? Or certainly he didn't direct it, but it was his, his baby. I, I remember that uh, quite vividly from my childhood, the uh, saucers, the three saucers flying over the landscape, and you could see the wires, and uh, I think those sound effects have been used in... Uh, <laughs> loads of films since then um but moving on to spielberg's vision do you think he nailed it mark i, I think it it certainly ticks all the boxes for a good epic you know um much like the 1966 world cup final in which england won it's got drama it's got excitement it's it's well held together and ultimately the good guys win and it's repeated ad nauseum every single time you put on the television yeah it's mentioned every 30 seconds um simon let's look at, at the the film as a piece of work, uh, is there any point in that that movie where you think it's it's weak in any way, or do you think he's he's kind of nailed it as a sort of blockbuster actioner, or do you think there's a, a deeper meaning in there? Well, that's just the, the the whole point, isn't it? It's not an action blockbuster. My my biggest gripe about the whole thing is that it wasn't set in England, because War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells, it should have been set eighteen late eighteen hundreds. Um, England still have all the, the 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 terrorist angle and everything else that he wants to to put in there, all the the deeper, meaningful uh, subtext that uh, that he put into the film that he wanted. I mean, if you you look at Chris's review, you can uh, he go, goes quite into significant detail about where um, Spielberg's mind was at the time with uh, regards to terrorism and 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 all sorts of problems going on the everyman and the the fear and the anger and how people react to certain situations. When you look at it like that, yes, he got it right. But I still would have liked to have seen a War of the Worlds set in England with bad technology. Late 1800s, when, when, when the, the, the aliens were fallible, the tripods could be destroyed. You know, the, I don't know. Maybe I'm miles and miles away here. I can't really remember this one because I saw it in the cinema. You were never, obviously, whenever it came out six years ago or whatever. But I can't really remember the story of it. I can remember the start 
where they come up out of the ground and I was blown away. And I can remember the end with the suggested epic battle against the army flashing over the hills. And then I can remember the close of the movie where obviously you find out who wins the war. But the whole middle bit, I can't remember at all, which leads me to believe that it could have been nonsense and not very well, enjoyable. Well, the middle of the film, this is one point that I want you to raise, which is, I think, the weakest part of the, the entire movie is when they go into the bunker with uh, Tim Robbins. Yeah, Robbins. yeah, um, in his dirty shed, yeah, and they're looking out through the holes and all the lights. Yeah, that was rubbish, wasn't it? That That's the weak point for me. I don't, I, yeah, um, there was no suspense. There was no peril. There was no danger there. You weren't going, oh, my God, you're just going, oh, come on, get out of the shed, start fighting the aliens again. Let's see them. Let's see them again. Well, you know, there, there was those complaints, and we'll, we'll come back to those complaints about why it wasn't an all-out action in a minute but this bit where they were in the the um, basement of the the farmhouse just for me it just killed the whole pace of the film it just it slowed it down when it when it was just starting to get interesting you know his son's just gone over the hill and there's been this huge explosion and and they're looking for cover and then it just kills the film it becomes something different and um, watching it again last night um, I actually chapter skipped it because I just couldn't be bothered to to go through all that rigmarole. You, did, of, you didn't chapter skip. You just watched a bit of the start where the those horn noises come out. I went, oh my god, that sounds awesome, and then you turned it off. That's all you bought the disc for. No, it wasn't at all. It, it, no, it just oh, yeah. slowed it down. It just it just didn't feel right. Anybody else get that from the film, Mark Simon? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not sure how you could have done that differently really other than leave it out completely what he was trying to do there he, he, he combined two or three characters from the book into the one Tim Robbins character so they were trying to get across an awful lot of information and the only way to do that is with two people exposing in a closed area I mean but you, you do sort of lose all sense of time in that scene, you know, you've got no idea how long they're down there. I mean, the holes there, and then the hole that is big. The, you've got the, the 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 homage to the 1950s film with the with the the the, the aliens walking through and the the head bit looking round. But the whole thing is is a weird, weird little bit of um, film there. And you, you're dead right; it does slow everything down. But how would you do it differently? Would you just ignore that bit completely and just stay above ground? What was it? What was the film really aiming to do? I it 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 is in the classic mould of an event movie. In which case, does he really need to be trying to make you know kind of social messages and trying to get across human characteristics and the like? It, was that ever really necessary? And you know, okay, Jurassic Park was a little bit more light-hearted, but still, event films don't usually follow that path. And so it, it's it's almost like it, it's taking classic blockbuster hype, large robots, and throwing in, as you say, a few characters from the book, amalgamating them and trying to get across all the messages from that rather than drip-feeding it you know, throughout the entirety of the film. What I get from the film is the, the whole point is the everyman. You know, how would you cope if something like this was to happen and how would you protect your family and your kids and, and what, what would you do to survive? I get all that. But this bit in the, the basement... Personally, I just think it was a little bit overkill in terms of what would you, you know, how far would you go to protect your family? And that seemed to be 
the whole point of of that setup in there was just to show how far um, this Tom Cruise character Ray, who at the start of the, the the film he's a complete you know dropout and not really interested in his kids, and trying to show a development in his character where putting extraordinary circumstances it's going to change him and he's going to protect his family no matter what. It just felt a little bit forced. I think though from from perhaps you're looking at it more from a kind of British perspective. You, when you look against the, the backdrop of, you know, 9-11 and the like, I think it probably took on a bit more significance for an American audience. See, they should have left it. Like, I draw huge comparisons between this film and Independence Day. And Independence Day, in my mind, is superior because it knows what it is and this film doesn't. It gets a bit lost in the middle. And it never quite, it never quite finds its feet after that scene in the basement, it doesn't pick up to the same pace as you get in, in, in the opening kind of half an hour or so. And it never, it never quite matches it. And when you come out of the film, you kind of go, oh, that wasn't great. It was okay. I was expecting so much more. I was expecting to see the tripods more. I was expecting for more action. I was expecting to see military standoff against the tripods. And you don't really get it to the extent that you would like to get it. Yeah, because it, 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 it promises action and it doesn't really deliver. That's a criticism that has been uh, forced upon this film since it was released. And Spielberg's always said, well, it's actually, you know, a, a perspective of, of the man in the street. It's not, you're not going to get your military standoffs. You're not going to get a, your normal type of blockbuster film. It's, it's more a film about this man and his two kids and trying to, trying to survive. Yeah, but that's so much more so boring. Why, in which case, case why not set it back in, you know, in England? And back, yeah, exactly. Why set it in the modern era if you're going to basically forego so much of modern technology and, and modern military might? Yeah, you see, that's a stumper. But you see, this is... Uh, this Why is... call it War of the Worlds? Yeah. Why not well, call it Ordinary Man Gets Scared by Aliens and Hides in Shit? Why do they have the World Series in America <laughs> with baseball? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. These are all existential are we questions. All watching we the need World answers. Cup? Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, isn't Tom Cruise one of the best on-screen runners you ever did see in your life? I mean, like, you got Dustin Hoffman and Martin, man, but Tom Cruise does some really good on-screen running. I just wanted to bring that point in. Continue <laughs> on. Well, he is, he is one of these stars who claims he does 90% of his own stunts, whether that's true or not. Um, well, I'll tell you what, if he got hit by that missile on the bridge in Mission Impossible 3, fair play to him. <laughs> that's take him one for the team. Um, let's wrap up on War of the Worlds. Um, I guess the, the 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 point that was made in the extras that I did watch was that they had a list of things they didn't want to see in this film, and one of them was uh, famous landmarks being destroyed. Uh, they didn't want to have the the whole military angle, you know, the military gets involved, blah, 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 blah. They didn't want any of that. They just wanted it as as some ordinary guy in the street, um, documentary style, what, what, you know, what lengths would they go to? And in those terms, up until the seller scene, I think he nails it. You've got to sit back and accept the rules at the beginning, and I think he did that quite well. Yeah, I'd agree, I'd agree with you, but they made the wrong choice. Now people looking back at this movie, anybody, anybody that you talked about this film, you said to them, oh, are you going to buy the Blu-ray? And they go, oh, yeah, it'll sound really good. Yeah, you know what, I'll pick it up. I hear it's getting great reviews for the sound. Well, let's get that. It's even better than the reference quality DVD. And that's where this, this, this disc falls into. It's another reference piece to show off your system. Movie itself is all right. But the only time you will go back to watch that is to see those monsters coming out of the ground and start with the horns. That'll be it. I've got to say, um, 
I think the the picture quality is superb on this. Um, absolutely brilliant because um, this was around about the same time. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was round about the same time that the film Minority Report. Um, yeah, I think the two films were quite close together, um, and he carries on that over bleached, crushed white um, lens flare, uh, very grainy film stock. Um, really grainy film stock. I mean, the grain is fantastic at times on this, uh, the way it's been used artistically in, in the in the darker scenes and so on. It's it just looks absolutely phenomenal. Loads of uh, detail in there, even though he's 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 blown out a lot of the the uh, the highlights. Um, but the thing f- for me that I noticed watching it back on Blu-ray that I didn't, or I certainly didn't pick up on with the DVDs or when I saw it at the cinema, although I can't remember what it looked like at the cinema. Anybody that says that they can remember what someone looks like at the cinema is pulling your leg. Um, I've got to say the uh, the one thing that I did notice was that the colour palette changes quite significantly from the start of the film towards the end of the film. And... Um, you actually get more and more colour introduced as the film goes on, which I, I hadn't picked up on before. Got to see on disc, it looks fantastic. They, they really have nailed the transfer. Um, so for me, it's a 10 out of 10 for picture. And yet uh, the soundtrack as well, I would say it, uh, it scores an 8. Obviously the DVD sounded excellent and uh, the TTS Master Audio uh, on this disc is also a treat for your uh, a good sub-workout. And I've also got to say it's, it's one of those better mixed... Um, Films, even for the, even for those moments when they're in the, uh, when they're in the basement and so on, the the whole atmosphere is uh, is quite immersive. Uh, so, guys, anybody else seen the, the disc? What do you think? I've not yet seen the disc. No, I have not yet seen the disc. Okay, well, it looks like uh, I scored an exclusive there. Um, although, who reviewed it for the site, Simon? Because uh, he's been up there a Chris. while. So, Chris has got his review up there. So, if you want to get a uh, a more in-depth look at War of the Worlds, then uh, go and have a look at Chris's review up there on avforums.com forward slash movies. Now, um, some of you movie uh, watchers out there may have realised that there is a, a tournament going on at the moment in South Africa. It is the World Cup. So we oh. thought we were going to have a look and see if there's any movies out there with a, a sporting twist that are worth seeing. So... We sent Jer to do some research, and he's found a, an incredible website uh, that mentions some fantastic films with sports. So, Jer, what were the results? Well, there are actually no results, as in a one to ten list. More of a random collection of every sporting film ever made seems to be listed here in this very handy site that was found with minimal effort. Uh, some of my favourites are in here. We've got. That classic from 1993, which is Cool Runnings, based on bobsledding. Who doesn't love that? Who doesn't love Cool Runnings? Everyone's Me. guilty pleasure. You don't like you don't like Cool Runnings? Nah, it's boring. Never seen obviously it. So, obviously so. It's too kiddie, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, but it's it, it does have a bit of that, you know, heartstring. I mean, it's quite clever at the end, but and it has well, got that, that added thing that it actually happened, but... Okay, oh, well, it's all gonna, a bit played I'll, for laughs, and it really. I'll try. I'll try and eliminate the childish ones here quickly. <laughs> so, just to get you to got... the good stuff, we got the Mighty Ducks ah, again. Awesome. How how good is that? Mighty Ducks is absolutely. We've got. We move on to some of the more elaborate sports, like uh, Cheerlady. Bring it on. Not a movie that I've ever watched, although you know, cheerleaders. Bring it on. Bring it Cheer- on, apparently. Cheerleading is a sport. Cheer- cheerleading is apparently a sport. Although it gets better than this, right? We've got bowling <laughs> in there, right? Which, Kingpin, obviously. 
Kingpin, one of the classic films of uh, the, the mid-90s, and one of the most uh, originally uh, humorous films I've ever seen in such a long time. Who, who did that again? The Brothers, what's the name of those brothers? Did it, um... Farrelly Brothers. The Farrelly Brothers. Farrelly's. Of course the it was. Guys, the Farrelly Brothers. Are, right? We've got Chess. Hang, hang, hang on, hang on. Was, was, that, was that the one with the line about milking the cow? Yeah, yes. yeah. We don't have a cow. We've got a bull. <laughs> <laughs> Such a classic line that is, yeah, and he got the he got the milk moustache, and he's like, "I was milking it for ages, <laughs> and was drinking away." And we don't have a cow; we got a bull. He's like, "What?" You know, I can't remember anything else about that movie, but I do remember that line, that scene. Oh, you must you must remember his landlady, the filthy woman. The blah, 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 blah. You must. Remember that. <laughs> no, I've I've got to say. I'm thinking back, and I just cannot picture a movie. Oh, but that was the first thing that popped in my head was was that milk in the cow. Oh, I, I only watched it. I watched it recently, but maybe two years ago. Highly recommend you go back. And it's it's absolutely hilarious, and it's not. It's lost none of its comedy. It's and he goes into the public stupid. toilet and squats in the sink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's full of just classic, classic moments. Classic anyway, sports. Moving moments, on, yeah. moving on towards through the sports list of movies, we've got some. Classic sporting movies in here, such as Searching for Bobby Fischer, which is based around the epic sporting oh. game of chess. All right, Jeez. we've got Men with Brooms, which is based on the sport of curling. Believe it or believe it not. Oh, that that was huge got... in Scotland. That was that was bigger than Braveheart in Scotland. Men with Brooms. <laughs> Are you serious? We've got Spelling, no. which is Spellbound. Yeah, anyone seen Spellbound? <laughs> no. Spellbound. Spe- Spellbound is actually I've actually seen this movie, isn't it? No, it's not a wizarding movie. It's a movie about American spelling bees. And it's all these kids are into these auditoriums and they're under. Do you ever see the, you know, the things with the wee, um, the wee princess girls that get dressed up, the pageants and all that kind of stuff? It's something like that, except it's for spelling. And it's an enormous competition. What? I've seen a Frasier with a spelling bee in it. Does that count? No, because it's not this movie. But okay. you've got the general idea. Spellbound's another movie I would actually recommend everybody to check out because it, it, it sounds like absolute pap, but it's actually quite good. Uh, Does Teen but, Wolf make the list, though? Teen Wolf? To, for what? Skateboarding? <laughs> basketball. Basketball. Oh, basketball, yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. You know what is in here? Gladi... Gladi... <laughs> Gladiatorial combat, i.e. gladiator, actually makes it into the list of the top 100 sports movies. you got The Hustler in there, and then you move on to the big ones. You know, you've got Raging Bull, you've got The Babe, you've got The Great White Hope, you've got Cindra, Cinderella Man, a more recent film. I don't know if anyone's seen that. It's actually quite yes, good. Ab- absolutely Boxing brilliant. Films are the only ones that, yeah, it's the only sport that Rocky. translates to the screen. Yeah, totally boxing. That, that's yeah. true. But strangely enough, one of, one of the most popular sporting movies is actually, anyone guess what it is? It's not Escape to Victory. It's actually Jerry Maguire. No, there's no sport yeah. in it. Yeah, hey, no, it's about sport. It's about sport. I'd, I'd, I'd love. It's got it sport me. in it. I wouldn't say it was about sport. What, what about um, any given Sunday or um, classics? Was... Yeah, what, what Caddyshack. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> rollerball. We're really getting into it now. All the big ones. What, what was? What it's was that one? That's my. <laughs> Ball. It is a sport to play in the future. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, that counts. In. Yeah. What about the table <laughs> tennis one? What's that one? That, um, oh, um, ping pong. 
Balls of Fury, is that the one Balls of Fury, that's yeah, the one. He's, he, he's flicking a ping pong ball off your man's head. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually quite funny, that film. It's terrible. You need, you need a lot of drugs and booze when you're you watching. Need, you need a lot of beer and you to, to you would, really you appreciate would. that, I think. <laughs> Um, and that's about it. I'll probably miss out some really enormous ones, so if you feel free to add in whatever you want. There's obviously uh, one so, Invictus. Soccer Mums? Soccer Mums. It's, Look, it's, it's more of a speciality your, um, title. Video Pop Nasties, it. Philip. There's <laughs> <laughs> a particular genre all to itself, does it, in that one? <laughs> <laughs> Milf. You kind of go wrong with Milf. <laughs> Yum, yum. Another um, <laughs> one of my favourites that I really love is The Basketball Diaries. Anyone seen that? I'd see with a stunning silence, <laughs> no one has heard of it before. No. What, man, uh, what's cap- about cap- a guy who writes a diary about playing basketball? What? Yeah, it's like, got up, <laughs> very literal. Bounced the ball around, did some dribbling, <laughs> went home, watched telly. That was about it. Oh, Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio's in it. It's a phenomenally good film. You haven't seen The Basketball Diaries? Really should go and check out the basketball diaries. Not I'll tell you what, a film that. I've seen about basketball is a film called that I reviewed for the site. You can go and see it. I think it's got about 200 views, probably one of the worst viewed DVDs on the site. Um, a film called Year of the Yow. <laughs> that sounds rubbish. <laughs> I've never even heard <laughs> it's of it. It's a documentary about uh, uh, the tallest man in China who comes to play for one of the big LA basketball teams. And his name, not surprisingly, is Yao. Oh, that um, sounds terrible. So, funnily enough, it's not as bad as I make it sound. I, I really quite enjoyed it because, again, it's, you know, it's reality. It was actually made up of all newscast material. So it's as it happened. This guy come over from, from China, couldn't speak a word of English. He had a single interpreter, interpreter who was about four foot tall. And this guy's about seven foot. So when they're trying to interpret each other, there's like a definite three foot difference between these two people. Did, did, he, have, did he have to pick her up and put her up to his ear? <laughs> It was a bloke. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, almost, almost. You're just trying to big up your own review. Don't look at that. <laughs> Absolutely. Check out, check out a profit, a much better film. So <laughs> let's let's move it back to the World Cup. And can we think of any good movies that feature football or soccer for our American listeners? Escape, Escape the Victory is a good film. I like that with Pele and Cy Stallone doing their thing in jail. Sounds wrong, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> Football, that is. I think that's libelous. <laughs> the damned United. Well, yeah, that was good. I've got to say, um, um, did an excellent job there. Martin Sheen. Yeah, yeah, Martin Sheen. He was, he was Brian. He definitely was. He, yeah. he nailed that completely. There have been some good kind of documentaries or kind of historical films like The Damn United, but. It's hard to think of anything where it's been entirely original material. Bend you know? it like Beckham. Yeah, but you know where the conversation is going to go now? Keira Knightley. It's going to go. Oh, not Keira Knightley. Not her again. We really <laughs> had enough for that hideous creature on this podcast. <laughs> I do not want to discuss her any further. No, I've got no idea what you're talking about. I was going to go on about social commentary. Social <laughs> Any, anyone see that crazy Asian one called Shaolin Soccer? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That was good. Now that's good. Quite possibly yeah. the best soccer film ever. Yeah, Seriously, it, brilliant. Yeah, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, and that's out on blue. 
we must review that. Someone review that. Who, who, who sets the DVDs on this, on this bloody thing? Who's in I charge think, of this operation? Who's in charge of this damn thing? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the sports list almost exhausted. I can't think of any more sports movies. Well, there was a, there was a really bad one that I do remember called Goal. Did anybody see that? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. It was Goal 2 as well. Yeah, there was. Is that the one where they had the real footballers in and it was just... Yeah, the first one was Newcastle United and he he went to the pub and he met, you know, pub or a nightclub and he met all the famous footballers. And (laughs) Hey, I'll I'll tell you what, I've just thought of a brilliant uh, title for a film. I just have to work out the... The, the screenplay to it, but um, The Great American Spill, a social commentary film. How, how about that? I have no idea Great what American about Spill? It. Yeah, the Rob Green story. Who's Rob Green? <laughs> Who's Rob Green? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm very uneducated when it comes to generalness. Let, let's just see. say it's the only spill that the Americans will be happy with. Spill? What's a spill? Oh, he's the goalkeeper, isn't he? Who dropped the oh, goal. Dropped. Christ right. almighty, the penny's dropped. Spill. Right. I, I want to watch soccer. I told you. I only watch UFC. The only proper sport available. Are we talking day. about Tim Burton? What are we saying? <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to get you a script or something? Do we need to bring up Seven again? I just watched your mouth, young man. <laughs> yeah, did you go actually go and whole, watch it again? I've got, a, I've got a whole briefcase full of ammunition here that I can unleash can I at say, any point in time. Can I just lodge a formal complaint? No, you can't, you can't lodge anything I was fully anywhere. edited If you want to lodge something, you lodge it at your own time. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that good an editor to make you, make you sound stupid. <laughs> There we go, we've reached that point again in the podcast where it all disassembles into nonsense. We were actually doing quite well there. We had a good two two good solid movies discussed and then, whoop, no, I oh, just fell to pants. Fell to pants. Well, I was going to say shit, but then, you know, I don't want to be cursing <laughs> the podcast. Am I right? Am I wrong? You no, know, no, you see, my interpretation is that the baby counts as one, right? And I had this argument with somebody in the pub the other night. you end up with eight. No, you don't end up with eight because Pitt doesn't include... See... You have to take into consideration that your man is a serial killer, Spacey, right? So he has to kill the seven people. He's not included. No, Brad Pitt's no, not included. He's, he's got to kill seven the, people. The, the rest- line is become Roth. That's the line. So therefore, he's saying that his murder is going to be Roth. Yeah, but if that's that the case, the then why is the movie not called Six? Because he only killed six people. No, there were seven deaths. He didn't say that yeah. he would have to kill seven. No, he's a serial killer. What's the, what's the whole purpose? He gets to number six and he goes, ah, oh, go on, someone else can have the last no, one. No, it, he what, wants oh, to have oh, the last right, one. All right, all right, right. Let me ask you this. Why then does whatever the hell Morgan Freeman's character is called, why does he say, don't do it, he wants you to finish his work for him? Why does he say that? Go back. Don't know what he's talking about. He's getting old. I'm getting the only one now. who watched the film, and then I'm edited poorly to sound like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> makes out that Shogun Assassin is not a good film. Just this. Oh God! No, you said that yourself. You were all like, "Oh, it's like two movies bars together. Makes no sense." The dialogue, the dubbing. Yeah, the but I was coming to a big butt, and just before I said butt, Phil. <laughs> But it and started saying that he didn't think it sounded any good. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Because you were making it sound like a big piece. Oh, Jesus. Like Kung Po with a fist or whatever the hell it was. I think I should be at least allowed a rebuttal. Okay, so uh, that kind of wraps up our podcast for this month, and uh, thanks very much for all your hard work and research there, Jet, into uh, the greatest sporting movies ever made uh, and committed to film. Thank you very much for that. You're very welcome, Philip. Always a pleasure. What's he was <laughs> and uh, just before we go, uh, you might have noticed that there is uh, a new technology coming along called uh, 3D, and uh, it's now coming into the home and AV forums. We'll be bringing you the first reviews of the content as it comes out. And uh, I'm going to hand you to Simon for this one. Simon, uh, what are we planning to do with 3D? Well, we're going to be re- um, reviewing every 3D disc that comes out. Um, the first one from Sony, uh, Cloud with a Chance of Meeples, will be on site very, very soon. Because that's all the 3D movies that because are that's all that's out at the moment. <laughs> so do not emerge. In, do not yeah. invest in emerging technology, listeners. <clears throat> that, is, that is the point to get across here. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what, it's been an absolute nightmare trying to get content to review these 3D mm. TVs when they come through. Um, but if you're not, um, thanks to LG, we will be set up to review 3D as soon as it happens, and uh, Simon is going to be taking care of that. Uh, so, Simon, are you looking forward to sampling the delights of this new technology? I think so, yes. Um, it's a technology that we uh, that has been heavily invested by uh, most of the manufacturers, and we at AV Forums want to bring that technology to the forefront um, for our viewers to see, yes, um, it's well worth investing, or is there just the content not worth the, the time, effort, and money? Um, and I think over the next few months, um, we will be able to give you an answer. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs, though. We can at least run a banner saying that AV Forums have reviewed has covered 100% of 3D discs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That'll be a nice name. <clears throat> absolutely. But, uh, no, in the coming months, uh, there are discs going to be coming. And uh, just to let everybody know that we are set up to do that on uh, avforums.com forward slash movies. And uh, I guess that's it for this month. So all I need to do now is thank Jer, Mark and Simon. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much, Thanks, Phil. Was it And uh, join us again in the next fortnight for our news roundup and some of the titles that are coming to Blu-ray and what we think. And uh, hopefully we might even get Chris back on one of these podcasts eventually. So uh, that's all we've got time for this month. If you've got any comments, queries or suggestions, then email them to podcast at avforums.com or leave your feedback in the podcast forum under this podcast. This is Phil Hinden saying thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again soon. You should really have the music come in, you know, just there because it gives a great sense of finality. I actually like the music coming in at the end. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited. Was he Waska?